Latoya. What's her name? It's Latoya. How y'all doing, guys? Welcome to the Analog Girl Podcast. This is your podcast for your 30-somethings and your 40-somethings, and we are on a quest. We're on a quest to get our analog lives in this digital-driven world. How y'all doing? I hope you're well, and thank you for listening. If this is your first time listening, ow, welcome. It, I mean, welcome. I hope you enjoy. And when you're done listening to this episode, and only when you're done, y'all, you can go back and check out all the other episodes I have. Keep in mind, I am on a journey, so the podcast has been growing. Stick with me. Uh, to anybody who hasn't already, I need y'all to check out analoggirlpodcast.com and just sign up for my email list because I'm telling y'all I got some things in the works and I want to keep y'all in the know about it when everything really start pop, 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 popping off. So uh, go over to analoggirlpodcast.com, sign up. It's no spam. I ain't going to spam you. All I need is your first and last name and your email address and I will only email you when it is absolutely necessary. So I really appreciate that. Also guys, um, I need help. Like, you know, like your girl needs help. Uh, when you listen to these, um, episodes and I see you guys listening, like my numbers are like, I see the numbers going up and I'm just so excited that I'm just garnering more and more listeners and people are reaching out and and saying that they're enjoying the quality content that I am giving y'all. And I'm just so blessed and happy that you guys are, um, listening and, and joining me in the journey while we, uh, get our lives out here. So I, what I need from you guys is to, uh, go to iTunes and rate, subscribe, even leave a comment. Um, also follow me on SoundCloud. If you listen on SoundCloud, I think on Google play, you can do the same. So if y'all can start doing it there, I'd appreciate it. I'd so, so appreciate it. This will just help me to help analog girl, uh, progress. So I appreciate that guys. Um, also, uh, if you have any show ideas or you have, uh, anything that you want to talk about or, or you want me to talk about or anything that, uh, if I have guests on that you want to talk about, I mean, just send it over to me. Um, give me any, any and all suggestions. I'm open to it all. You can email me at info, I N F O at analog com. All right, y'all. So let's get into the check in. Alrighty then. Welcome to the check in, guys. I hope your anxiety levels are low to non existent. Um, if not, let's, we'll have to do a little quick breathing. Let's just breathe right real quick, you know, to get us all on the same page right now. So in through the nose, out through the mouth. One more time, in through the nose, deep breath. Hold it and let all that negativity go. Out through the mouth. That did something for me Um, because I needed it. I definitely needed it today. Um, So anxiety check-in for me, guys. Um, I've been doing all right. Um, I've learned this week that I am kind of getting, 
getting this whole coping thing down when it comes to anxiety, levels of anxiety and um, panic attacks or mini panic attacks, your girl is getting the coping skills down. Okay. Because, um, I was having like these kind of like discomforts. I don't know if it was pains or what it is. Like it was, I was having it in my chest and it keeps coming. It's on and ongoing um, still. And so the first thing I always do guys, and you know, when, if you ever start to feel discomfort in your body or any kind of pain, I suggest going to the first thing is going to the emergency room or going to the doctor to um, cross out all, to cancel out all those fears of anything going wrong with your body, or you think you dying or whatever. You go to the, go to the emergency room, go to the doctor's office so that you can knock that off the list and, and know like, okay, I know that I'm dealing with this is this is anxiety, this is panic. It's you know, it's definitely not my health, it's not my heart, it's not my blood, blah, blah, blah. So that's what I did. I went to the emergency room, got a clean bill of health. I was even telling the doctor, like, so can you check this? Can you because I don't trust them. So I was like, I need a urine test. Uh, can you do this? Uh, can you check this? And she was just looking at me like, okay, girl, I'll do it, but I'm just telling you, you're fine. So she did check it. I stayed for maybe I was there for maybe like two, three hours. Um, and, uh, she gave me a clean bill of health. So that was, that was, that was confirmation for me that, um, girl, you tripping, um, you might've pulled a muscle or something. Um, this is definitely, it's just probably muscular or it is your body, uh, 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 reacting to the anxiety that you're, that you're going through. So while I have, um, come out of the depersonalization and kind of, um, um, I've, I've been coping with the intrusive thoughts a lot and just shifting my thought process. Um, I, I am still quite a bit anxious because, um, I, you know, don't know, I'm, I'm still in limbo about career. Um, I'm still in limbo about like where my next dollars are coming from. You know, your girl ain't out in these streets hurting just yet. Well, I ain't hurting right now and I ain't going to hurt. I'm, I'm I ain't going to claim it. But, um, you know, it's just a worry about like, so three months from now, what's really good with my money. So, um, <clears throat> I have been feeling a bit anxious about that. So I think, and then on top of that, you know, you know, you know, I'd be out here struggling with the single life, like the single life is no fun. Um, and then the fact that, you know, you'd be dating people that just absolutely insane sometimes, or they drive you crazy, or you thought it was the one and then they turn out to be a nut. So, um, you know, on top of all of that, I think that is what I attribute my anxiety to. Um, and you know, in talking, then I, you know, and I have my outlets, I talk with my therapist and I just vent, which guys, I'm going to have my therapist on a show very soon. So y'all have to tune in and you, I'm telling you, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to love her and you're going to want her to be your therapist too. But, um, so I, uh, you know, those, I was talking to my therapist and hashing some things out, you know, um, family wise and stuff. So I, I did all of that long story. I made a short story long, all that to say, um, I figured out my coping skills a much. I'm like, I'm getting, I'm getting okay with it. I'm not really, I'm not hardcore panicking. Um, but I am very, still very anxious on the inside. So, you know, I've been doing teas. Um, I went to the gym, Um, and I had started, I started something called EFT tapping and the EFT tapping has really helped you girl. Um, I'm going to, and I will talk more about EFT tapping. That's going to be on a, on a, on a, um, 
future episode um, with a guest I have come on the show to talk about EFT tapping and how it does help. But that has been something that has been really helpful for me um, the past two weeks. Also, um, a part of my coping I'm realizing is that I need to, like, I'm, I'm adapting this zero fucks given lifestyle. Like I'm not give I'm giving zero fucks from now on. Um, and I'm no longer going to be a people pleaser. I think people who are people pleasers, um, become anxious because all we want to do is please everybody around us. And then in, in return, what do we get? We get sabotage goals. In return, what do we get? We get incomplete goals that we have never, um, and we don't accomplish our goals. We're so busy trying to, uh, people please everybody and help them with their goals, help them be comfortable around us because they're uncomfortable around us. Uh, and we lose sight and lose track of what we are supposed to be doing with our lives and what our goals are. So I'm realizing that now I, I, I'm not playing this game anymore of people pleasing anymore. I am saying no when I want to say no now. Um, and, and shout out to my girl, uh, Steph, Stephanie, Dr. Stephanie. Well, she ain't no doctor, but she's, I mean, She's a doctor in her own right, but Stephanie Fuentes, the life architect, she has a podcast called I Said No, and uh, I'm just getting in tune with saying no, y'all, and giving zero fucks. So that is my that is my anxiety check-in. And, and I, like I said before, guys, I hope your anxiety levels are low to non-existent, and if not, remember to breathe and maybe take my advice to give zero fucks. In today's Tales from the Anxiety Zone, I have my homegirl, my ace, my college buddy, my friend, uh, my newbie and queen, Jessica Gray. She hails from the DMV area. Jessica is a lawyer. I always forget what kind of lawyer. Like, I think she was doing like environment. I don't know. Don't get me to lying, but she do explain it in the interview. So I, you know, y'all got to listen. But Jessica's a lawyer. She has a very strong background. She has a strong background in um, working with people who suffer from mental health. Um, she's also uh, suffered from anxiety um, and trauma and PTSD um, due to losing um, her nephew suddenly um, as from a violent crime in uh, Washington, D.C., um, and then also being a, a mom and then she, she's a mom and then she became a new mom again. So she has two children. Um, so she talks about her struggles with that and how, um, to navigate it. Um, she also gives us pointers, um, for people who uh, want to travel because traveling is something that I think that we should all do. If you suffer from panic attacks, PTSD, anxiety, depression, um, traveling and going someplace and getting um, some new scenery, looking at some new things, learning some new cultures, whatever it is, even if it is um, a, one state over, it doesn't have to be another country. It could be another state over. It could be you go from the Bronx to Brooklyn and learn some culture there. Just a different, a change of scenery will help you tremendously. So Jess will let us, she gives us some pointers, some tips on the best ways to travel, how to travel, and especially if you have kids and how to minimize your anxiety while you're traveling. So check it out. 
Latoya D., who was living a life of complete and utter trash, y'all, spending money frivolously on clothes, food, and bottles of wine that could be finished in one setting alone, ghosting Sally Mae and never paying a bill, y'all, going back and forth in relationships that were called situationships, a what? Going from one dead-end job to another, struggling with racial and social anxieties in the workplace. Nature finally took its course. On March 1st, Toya D. woke up in an apparent dream world to which she calls the urban matrix and was left to figure out the true meaning of life and human existence. Join the journey on the quest to live fabulously, shamelessly, bold and fearless and confident with mental health in the anxiety zone. All right, so we're recording, girl. I have to start fanning myself because I'm like sweating so bad. Why? I don't know. I was just in here trying to take pictures and I just start sweating. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. So, hey, Jessica, welcome to the Analog Girl podcast. Hey, Toya. Hey, Toya. Hey, Toya. (laughs) Uh, Guys, so Jessica is one of my good friends from college. We've known each other since the Enville days. And I thought that it would be great that she could share her experience with anxiety and traveling um, and being a new mom. So a new mom and then sometimes, and then having another child and still feeling like a new mom after that. So um, that's what Justin's here to discuss. So how you doing, girl? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, I'm really hot. I was in here playing with my camera and trying to figure out um, movements and whatnot. I started flashing and then it was time for <laughs> So now I'm just sweating, and if y'all hear me fanning, that's what it is. I'm having flashes. So, but I'm doing. Yeah. So let's just jump right on into it. Well, how, well, how's your day going, girl? First, it's been very busy. One of the things that I think really can make me anxious or bring about my anxiety is poor planning or impromptu situations that throw me off of my schedule and my routine. So my schedule was thrown off a little bit. <laughs> but I'm sipping my tea. I'm re- I'm relaxed now, but definitely my routine means a lot to me when it comes to my anxiety. So I'm better. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm so, better now. Um, <laughs> that's good. Um, so how, I guess we'll just go right into uh, what, how did your anxiety start? Well, is it anxiety? So, or do you think it's a combination of like anxiety and anxiety? I have an I have a combination of anxiety and PTSD. So the first first my anxiety began around the time I started having children. Um, one of the things that I noticed was I would have this extreme fear that something bad was going to happen to my children or something bad was going to happen to me when my children were very young and that they would be left without a mom. And it was a, just a very scary feeling, something I never really thought about in terms of me dying or dying young until I started having children. Uh, In 2015, I had my second child and it just seemed to get worse. And I noticed that I would start having thoughts of worst case scenarios more frequently. And finally, the last straw, I think that really brought on um, anxiety to the point of sometimes even depression or depressed feelings was when my nephew was killed last year. Actually, the anniversary of his death was last year. I mean, I'm sorry, yesterday. The one-year anniversary was September 20th. He was 
um, shot and killed just a few steps from his home um, on his way from a college prep program. And it just, you know, all of my worst fears sort of came to life in the form of my sister, meaning my fear was that something bad was going to happen to my children. And here it is, something bad happened to one of my sister's children. And we were very close because he's a twin, I'm a twin. Our birthday was exactly a week apart. So my twin's birthday and I is October 12th. Him and his twin's birthday is October 19th. Um, we're 18 years apart. You know, I really felt like I helped raise them and I was very active in their lives. So it was very devastating for me to have to endure something so terrible and even just watching my sister go through it. And she's a very strong and resilient person, but it was almost crippling uh, Mm -hmm. the grief of his death. And then adding to that, the one of the worst fears of something happening to one of my children happening to my sister. So um, that's how sort of the anxiety started and then really manifested Um, most recently in the last year. And that's what also brought on the PTSD. So the PTSD was um, my nephew's death Mm. that brought on the PTSD. Um, I think the night that it happened, my sister texted and said, you know, something happened. I don't know what happened, but the police was at her house. And she said, you know, my nephew had been taken to the hospital. Uh, It doesn't look good. But in my mind, I never went straight to he was killed. I'm thinking, worst case scenario, he lost a limb, he may be paralyzed. Never did my mind go straight to death. And so when I got to the hospital, I was not expecting. And as I'm walking in, there's a social worker and a doctor delivering the news, literally as I'm walking in. Mm. And then we had an opportunity to see the body and it just kind of all compounded into this um, moment that you sort of relive. And then, and it's easily triggered by watching the news and seeing a young person being killed, watching the news and hearing about a young person being shot, um, children being killed. It's so easily triggered that I pretty much avoid the news, (laughs) avoid CNN alerts. I turn the alerts off or the notifications off on my phone. Uh, I definitely really monitor my Facebook usage because I think Facebook more than Instagram is where people post like the worst possible news ever or repost stories over and over about really bad shit that's happening around the world. So I avoid Facebook when I'm feeling really, really, um, I guess when the symptoms are just really bad, I just avoid social media altogether. Um, and I increased my therapy appointment. One of the other things, well, I guess you haven't asked me this yet, but I guess <laughs> I'll answer. One of the ways that, definitely one of the ways that I have treated the anxiety and PTSD without medication to this point is through uh, grief, grief counseling, counseling, therapy sessions, as well as acupuncture. Okay. So, so how, how did the, um, anxiety what were the symptoms for you because everybody's anxiety symptoms are different the anxiety symptoms i would have is um i guess the first one would be that i know that something is uh, that is being brought on is 
I would just feel this instant rush almost mm-hmm. over my body where then I start breathing kind of heavy mm-hmm. or I start thinking about, um, it's like a, it's so funny because it feels like what I'm saying in my head is, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my, what's about to happen, what's about to happen, what's about to happen, what's about to happen. And then I start panting and then I start, I have to um, try to force myself to de-escalate in my mind. So I just take a lot of slow, deep breaths, but it really starts with a lot of heavy breathing, a lot of, I can't focus, like what's about to happen, what's about to happen. So it's mostly Anxious. for panic attacks. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But I have never experienced a panic attack to the point where, I've, I've, because I've seen this with some people begin to hyperventilate to the point where they need oxygen or they girl, need... Girl, I have... <laughs> and we had to call my mother like, Ma, I think this is it. You're going to have to come over here. You're going to have to come over here. <laughs> I, think no, I, I, I think about the checkout. I think about the checkout. This is the big one. This is yeah. the big one. <laughs> So fortunately, I've never had it to that extent, but it is, it's a lot of hyper, it's almost like a hyperventilating uh, symptoms is what I usually experience. Okay. And so, so, and those are, but those were just the, it was just more so of a, um, I guess you would kind of call it like a chronic kind of just anxiousness versus it was still a panic attack because it wasn't like the extreme panic attack but it was kind of like a chronic anxiousness you were feeling every day yes Mm -hmm. yes yes and I think too uh just one of the things about being a parent is you just feel like you just want to do everything right you don't want to fuck your kids up in the head you want them to be well-adjusted adults and so we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as parents to keep them healthy, give them healthy foods, give them a healthy, put them in a healthy environment, make sure they're in a good place with school, make sure they're doing their homework. You know, your life ends up revolving around your kids. And then when things don't seem like they're going in the right direction for whatever reason, and it usually is something very small, right, that you just feel like has got to be the worst thing in the world, you know, my my kid won't eat vegetables. Oh my gosh, they're gonna have cancer. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> one of those things where that's where my mind just goes because it's a lot of pressure yeah. to be a good parent. And it's scary that, you know, when you think about the grandness or the bigness of being what it is to be a mom, you really think about, I am responsible for molding a person, like a real human being and making sure that like they end up being a good wife and a good husband and a good mom and a good dad and contribute to society and not hit people over the head to steal their pocketbooks like shit like that you know <laughs> yeah. you didn't want to yeah because absolutely. that's what you know that they be, they be productive members of society and not just and I, I just think that that's so important and so I put a lot of pressure on myself to you know make sure they go to bed at a, at, at a good time make sure they're eating healthy foods make sure you know they're in productive things after school and it gets to be a lot it gets to be a lot. And so that's what usually, um, when, we're, when I was talking about the routine earlier, you know, making sure that they're in their routine sort of helps me maintain my, or keep my anxiety at bay, I guess, or my anxious feelings at bay, you know, that they're going to bed on time, that they're waking up on time, that we're getting to school on time. If you can imagine just getting them ready every morning on time for school, 
if we if I wake up late, then I'm rushing, and automatically just the rushing will bring on that anxiety or that those anxious feelings. Like, oh my gosh, they're going to be late for school. And then if they're late for school too many times, the school is going to send a notice. And then if they send a notice too many times, they're going to get kicked out of school. And then where am I going to send my kids to school? Like, that's for your mind, yeah, where my mind go starts to go. You've gone through a whole process, like a whole 10-year process. And it's just, you know what I'm saying? Like exactly. In five minutes. So I totally get that. So um, what was, well, and one of the reasons, well, I, the, the reason why obviously I, I asked you to come on is because you found a way um, to remedy a lot of symptoms. Um, one was, I was impressed with the acupuncture, which I've been learning how to do e, um, EFT tapping actually, um, mm-hmm. because I can't afford, I mean, you bougie, I, I can't uh, afford the acupuncture. When I looked at them prices, I was like, mm-hmm, that sound about right. That sound right about Jessica's alley right there. Because <laughs> I was like, I, mm, I can't afford it. So I started learning EFT tapping, but um, you found out through acupuncture and then also traveling, um, which is, I wanted you to speak on that because a lot of people out there, and I actually got an email from someone who, one of the listeners who was saying, you know, she was asking for the meditations that I listened to because she was just already worked up before. She was like, I have a flight coming up. And, um, she was just like very out of sorts and really wanted to be able to calm herself down. And the, and the trip hadn't even started yet. So I just wanted you to speak towards um, the traveling um, and how that helped you. Sure. So I wanted just to go back real quick about the acupuncture. Mm-hmm. I found the acupuncturist, it's actually a wellness center. So they have, in addition to acupuncture, they do therapy sessions there. They also do yoga and some nutrition. And so it's a wellness center. If you're living in the Washington, D.C. area, it's called Third Space Wellness. They accept insurance, which means I only pay a copay of $10 when I go for acupuncture. Oh, I encourage okay. people to look, you know, and so if, but it depends on your insurance. I encourage people to check with their insurance. You will be surprised how much is offered at a reduced or discounted rate with your insurance because obviously preventative care is cheaper than, you know, five years from now you end up with cancer because, which costs the insurance companies a lot more money just because you didn't take preventative measures. So, I mean, breast cancer is like a prime example, right? If you get the mammogram, then you catch the symptoms early and you may not end up with cancer, which ends up costing less money on the insurance versus having to treat cancer and the cost of the insurance companies to treat cancer. So preventative care, if it qualifies as preventative care, or treatment is probably a part of your plan and it's probably at a reduced rate or a cheaper rate than paying out of pocket. So if you, I would encourage folks to check your insurance plans and then I did try to identify acupuncturists that accepts insurance. With that said, if you, if acupuncture, also just to go back, therapy, it, the difference between going to a psychologist and like a licensed social worker is tremendous. So a licensed social worker generally accepts insurance and you pay whatever your copay is if you have an HMO. So uh, my therapy sessions are $20 oh. and my therapy, oh. but it's, but I don't see a psychologist. Now the difference is a psych, generally psychologists do not accept health insurance or you have to pay them up front and then you get a reimbursement from your insurance. So one, a friend of mine was telling me one visit 
to a psychologist was two hundred dollars. Now, if you are, if your symptoms are so to a point where you need medication, you still don't have to see a psychologist. You can talk to your primary care physician or a nurse practitioner, and they can actually prescribe some of those anxiety medications like Lexapro. I think serotonin uh, or is one, is another one. You don't have to see a psychologist for those, but it does help that if you're going to take those medications that you're also seeing either a, a psychologist or a therapist. So you think that the social My, worker, um, are, the social worker is good for um, therapeutic uh, mental health? Absolutely. Because there are types of social workers that essentially the difference between their training and the train, I mean, the training is very similar, but one of the major differences between a, psych a psychologist and a licensed social worker is I think one can prescribe medication that the other ones cannot. Okay. The, um, and I think the psychologists, obviously they are doctors, right? They have gone to medical school to be able to diagnose mental health conditions. Social workers can still diagnose but, I mean, there may be some limitations on their diagnosis. So, for example, if you are coping with or you're trying to cope with grief or you're trying to overcome anxiety symptoms, I think you can. I think I, I, just me personally, I do think a social worker can assist you with those. If you are struggling more so with a chronic mental illness such as manic depressive disorder, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. To me, those symptoms and those conditions require more intense therapy and psychotherapy with a doctor because those symptoms are a little more, they, they require a more intense level of therapy and treatment. So, you know, suicide, suicidal ideations, depression, manic depression, those require, in my opinion, just more intense therapy. But if you are just, you know, you, your symptoms may be a little less severe. Like some days you just feel really sad or in a depressive mood versus months of chronic depression, unable to get out of the bed, physically ill from your depression, mm -hmm. you will probably need to see a psychologist. This is just my opinion. I do have my background in mental health really circles, um, is related to my work as an attorney. And so that's how I've come to learn the differences because I actually work to have people committed who were a threat to themselves or others. And that's how I learned some of the symptoms and the diagnosis and the differences between a social worker and a psychologist. But even in a hospital setting, in a mental health hospital setting, the psychologist and the psychiatrist are the ones prescribing your medication, but your routine therapy is done with a social worker. Okay. And that's even in a psychiatric hospital where I, where I work. So okay. I'm saying that to say social workers can do the work also, but in terms of the medication prescriptions and managing a, some of those symptoms, you will need to see a psychologist, psychiatrist. Whoa, child, that was a tangent in and of itself, wasn't it? <laughs> but you know what, though? You made me realize how I did not, we did not even tell the people, like, where you are, what you do, where you're from. So <laughs> clearly, I'm going to have to do that in the intro. Oh, my God. So, but anyway, <laughs> um, Jess is from the D Maryland, D.C. area, born and raised, correct? Yes, ma'am. And Washington, D.C. Now, I be saying, I be like, yeah, my friend's a lawyer, but I don't be knowing what kind of lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
So I as I do right now I do labor and employment law for the DC government. And but prior to that I was doing civil commitment, which civil commitment just means people who are dangerous to themselves or others, they require hospitalization and forced a medical treatment and intervention by a court. So you are court ordered to receive medical treatment for your mental illness. And I work to commit those people. Oh. And trust me, it is, it is very taxing work. A lot of the times people resist the medication because it just makes them feel, have these outer body experiences where they don't feel like themselves. Yeah. Cause I, and I think and I, when I went into the emergency room and I was telling them like how I thought that I was in the matrix and they was looking at me like, what? <laughs> and so they were like, we just think this is anxiety. We're going to give you, I think they gave me something called, maybe it was called like Ativan maybe or something. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. It was almost like it was, it was like, it took a, it didn't, it never took away from the symptom of, from the sensation of the depersonalization, but it just made it more like I was floating. And I was like, now this don't even, I don't understand. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like this didn't even really exactly. help at all. It was like was another person. Yeah. And it's crazy because of, uh, the medication you would think would relieve the symptoms. And I think it just makes you apathetic, right? Yeah. Where you, you just unable to really empathize or, feel for other people, but the symptoms are kind of like still lingering. They just don't put as much pressure on you as they probably did before in terms of whatever the, the anxiety symptoms are. I had a friend just tell me the same thing, which was she was she stopped taking the anxiety excuse me, she stopped taking the anxiety medication because it was causing her to have no empathy for her kids. Her kids you know, her, she'd be interacting with her kids and they would, you know, they would be hurt or something and she'd kind of just be like, oh, yeah, right. you know, which is crazy, right? You just feel so detached. Yeah. And that's the word you use. I just felt so detached yeah. from my kids that it was scary. Mm -hmm. And you're already detaching when you're in yes. dealing with, you're already disassociating sometimes. Some people are already disassociating like myself. I was like completely disassociated. So it was just like, it made it worse. And that's why I was really on some old, I'm going to figure out how to do this holistically because I just, yeah. me personally, I'm not an, I, I know that some people probably need it. And I've heard people say that it helps them, but I, I've never heard a, 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 a success story like, oh yeah, save my life type of thing. Like, I think that everyone I've listened to told me that they eventually um, come off of it or you know feel that they but, but even when they come off of it it like it go it comes right right back versus yeah holistically yes. yourself and then and and you know you know what I'm saying you've learned how to cope and not not spiral back into the same feelings and the same panics and all that kind of stuff so I do agree with like that whole d detaching with the medicine is w wiggity wiggity whack <laughs> I cannot I can't deal with that yeah so if you are familiar with Jennifer Lewis, Jennifer Motherfucker Lewis, yes. <laughs> the actress, I actually listened to her audio book and she suffered from bipolar disorder and manic depression. And one of the things that she talks about a lot is that she refused medication for a year. So she was in therapy for many years before her therapist was able to convince her to take medication. And one of the things she talked about was the adjustment to the medication 
was so difficult because it was a lot of titrating up and down, trying to figure out what what combination of medications worked best for her. Mm-hmm. And so if that could be very discouraging in and of itself, right, where you are taking a medication and when you're taking the medication, you know, it either makes you feel too loopy or it's not effective. One of the things she talked about is she thought that once she was, she thought that the medication had worked now, she's fine, I don't need it anymore. And the day she stopped taking the medication, within a week, it may not have been a day, within a week she stopped taking the medication, she went out and bought like a $5 million house. Just impulsive, just like the most <laughs> impulsive behavior. And so that's when she realized she was going to need the medication for the rest of her life. Or, yeah, probably for the rest of her life. But I will say that that's probably like an extreme case where you have, um, where you have that chemical imbalance that will never be able to be corrected with a holistic approach. Because she, for years, tried holistic, and she talks about this a lot in her book. So I'm say, I say that to say that this isn't a judgment of people who have to take medication. Absolutely. But if you, can, if you don't need medication or try as many alternatives as possible before, because the medication, you do develop a dependency on it, I think. And not if you mention, don't need it, you don't. Not, I'm saying not to mention someone like Jennifer Lewis who had the, um, the medical insurance and the extra fiduciary funds to do that because um, yep. some people, you know what I'm saying, depending on what their insurance are, is, it's not it's not as easy for us to just be like, okay, we're going to just keep testing these type of medicines to see what is fine. You know what I'm saying? Like what works and what yes. doesn't. Um, yes. So that's yes. the reason why I think that, you know, exhausting your resources as far as holistic um, healing um, would, would, would behoove you. As, especially because, not only is it just cost prohibitive, right? Well, how much money you gotta spend every every time you need these pills, every time you gotta go to a to the doctor. And this is one of the things that discourages people again from even getting mental health treatment is the accessibility of it. Yeah. And then the frequency. So if you work if you work an hourly job and you have to take off work just to go to a therapy appointment, it's like if I don't ha- if I don't work, I don't get paid. Right. And so then you got to try to find, you got to, you, you know, you're forced to try to figure out how can I go to a doctor that I need to go to, but at the same time, I still have to work to be able to pay for the doctor. Absolutely. So to the extent possible, just do your research and, you know, look into your insurance to try to find all the resources that are available at a, at the lowest cost possible. Right. And if you need, and if, a, and if you end up needing a psychologist or a psychiatrist because of your symptoms, your social worker, the licensed social worker, will be able to refer you and say, you know, I can't treat you. But I was, but my point is, I would start there. Absolutely. I would start there. So, so I'm sorry, we on a whole nother tangent. That was a whole nother <laughs> tangent. But we sure We're going to get to the fun stuff now. So on to the fun stuff, which I enjoyed, is um, the traveling aspect or, and the traveling with anxiety. So just because you got all, you be having all the gems as far as the traveling, you be having all the gems too about as far as anxiety too. Um, so what, what did you find that the traveling did um, help you with the anxiety? First of all. Yes. But the key to traveling 
with anxiety, I think, is to plan. Mm-hmm. And I cannot stress that enough because one of the things, in my opinion, or maybe I should just say for me, one of the things that will, you know, really can bring on my anxiety symptoms is where I feel like there's loss of control or loss of um, or unpreparedness. So mm-hmm. what brings about unpreparedness, un- you know, when you don't plan, when you don't plan on how much money you need to spend, when you don't plan how much time it's going to take or how long the travel will take when you don't plan for your spending money and you kind of find yourself struggling even while you're on the vacation what what kind of vacation is that you can't spend any money or you you're trying to enjoy a nice meal and then you're like but tomorrow for dinner we're gonna have to eat mcdonald's because i don't already spent all my money <laughs> so the you is it's like i'm on vacation yeah i'm in hawaii but i can't do shit because i don't got no money <laughs> who that's not a good, that's not, that's not a kind of vacation that reduces anxiety. So the first thing I would say is to plan. One of the things that I like to do because I have children is I plan my vacations around when my kids are going to be out of school. So when the school year starts in August or actually a little bit before school starts, we get the school calendar and I try to start planning out our vacations around their time off. So for example, they're about to be out. They're going to be out for a week around Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I know that if I start planning now, that the tickets will be cheaper. The flights are going to be cheaper. The destination, the hotel is going to be cheaper. And one of the things that this does is it gives you a leg up on finding the best prices for the hotels and finding the best prices for the flights. Now, if you're traveling with a family, you're traveling with children. Let me just talk about traveling with children for a second. Traveling with children requires planning because you're already going to be spending extra money on their flight, right? So if you're traveling with just yourself, obviously it's one flight versus having to pay for three flights for your kids or for your husband or whoever you're going to be traveling with. So that means you should start planning even sooner so that you're not waiting at the last minute where flights and hotels are going to most likely be expensive. I mean, that's just a given, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing I like to do is I try to plan in the off season. So around the holidays, everybody is still kind of drunk in love with Christmas and New Year's and then Valentine's Day. People are not thinking about their spring travel. That is the best time to start looking at spring break. So if your kids are in school and they're going to be out for a week in spring break, I highly recommend looking for flights and hotels in January because everybody's already broke from Christmas. So you <laughs> so nobody to fly out in January or to purchase them in January? I would start I would start purchasing in January. Okay. And the reason why and maybe not purchase the hotels, but at least try to purchase the flights or get a ballpark figure for what the flights are gonna cost you at that point. So to help me save, I have this app called Digit. And what Digit does is, it used to be free, but now it's $2.99 a month. But what it does is it tracks your spending, and based on your spending habits, it will deduct small amounts of money from your checking account and put it into this savings account that you can access at any point you need to. And you can set a savings goal. So, for example, I have a goal of $1,000 by the end of the year. And then I have um, to plan for a vacation for around the holidays. So that way, that $1,000 is every, you know, every couple of days, 
$10 here, $5 there gets deducted out of my checking account and it'll accumulate. And so that by the time I need it, I'll have a thousand dollars. And that's my travel money. That's how I save money for travel. That's one thing. The other thing I like to do is um, I try to fly on a day where airlines um, flights are the cheapest, which is Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Tuesdays and Wednesdays are generally the cheapest day to fly. Mondays and Fridays, obviously the most expensive because everybody's flying. And I think at this point, that's sort of a given. Mm-hmm. I also look at I also look to fly at times that most people don't like to fly, which is early in the morning. A lot of people don't like to fly early in the morning because who wants to get up for a 7 a.m. flight, right? You got me, you got to be at the airport at 5 o'clock in the morning. Those are the times that the flights are usually cheapest. I will say, too, when you're traveling with children, you want to travel at a time. I prefer traveling at a time early in the morning because children are more likely to fall asleep by the time they get back on the plane. By the time we're settled on the flight, they're more likely to go to sleep as opposed to at night when, they, when they've been up all day and they're more likely to be overtired and cranky and then more likely to be up the whole flight getting on your damn nerves. So if you're flying with kids to reduce your anxiety because nothing is more stressful than flying with kids who are um, annoying, being annoying, getting on your nerves. Take the time to plan to fly around the time where they're most likely to be chilled and relaxed. Okay, so now I talked about the best times to fly, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, the best times to look for a flight at least four months in advance when people are, when nobody's thinking about going anywhere in April. Those are the times to look, to book flights. Now, hotels, I'll get, I prefer hotels over Airbnbs, but this is, you know, this is just my preference. So because when I go on vacation, I don't want to cook. So I don't wanna, when I'm on vacation, I don't want to cook. Uh-huh. That's just me. If I get an Airbnb, that means I, it's like being at, at home. I got to come. I got to clean up. I got to cook. I got to rent a car. No, I want to be chauffeured around in the Uber. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to cook. <laughs> I'm on vacation. So one of the things I like to do with the hotels is a lot of times Expedia and Travelocity, those sort of websites, they like to bundle you in to these flights and hotels. But sometimes it does not end up being cheaper. And the other thing, you don't get your, it's harder to get your mileage points when you are doing it that way. So I like to separate mine so that I can first apply my government discount because I'm a government employee. So if I'm going to use a hotel that accepts a government discount, and if you don't work for government, what about AARP or if you have a AAA card, think about or a student ID or military discount. You know, though it's hard to you can't apply those discounts when you're using Expedia and Travelocity and you're bundling your flight in your hotel. So I encourage you to look at those hotels separately from the flight. And then the other benefit is you don't have to pay for the hotel until you check out. Mm-hmm. So you can book your flight in January, but you don't have to pay for your hotel until you check out. So if you're flying, if you're flying in April. All you need to have in January is the money for your flight. And then you have a whole four months to put money to the side, put money to the side, put money to the side so that you can pay for your hotel when you check out. Mm-hmm. So if your hotel is going to end up being $600 and you know from January to April, you just need to put together maybe $100 out of every paycheck to cover that $600. That's what you need to do so that you're not trying to wait up until the last minute to um, save that money and have it. 
But that's the benefit, the other benefit of booking those things separately so that you're not paying for everything at one time. Okay. So that's, those are the ways I save money in travel. Book early, budget for your trip, and budget for your flight. The other thing with traveling with kids that easily runs up your tab is food. What I like to do when I'm doing food is, well, my kids are still young, but if you got a grown man, grown woman you're traveling with, meaning teenagers, you may not, this may not work for you. But what I like to do, because my children are young, I like to pack a lot of non-perishable snacks and, and food so that when we're in between meals and they're hungry but not hungry enough to order or to go to a restaurant or to go out um, and, and just find food for them, yeah. I like to pack um, oatmeal where you just have to add like hot water, non-perishable applesauces or fruit pouches, healthy snacks, granola bars. They, they travel really easily. They don't leak. They're not going to leak in your luggage. And it's a quick meal, quick snack. So that you don't have, you're not constantly paying for food. The other thing I like to do is look for hotels that are family friendly because they usually have perks like kids under 12 be free, or at least they have breakfast free. Mm -hmm. And that way, you are saving money on food because kids sometimes they don't even half the time they don't even eat the food, let alone um, they're not starving. They just need something like a quick fix so that. Um, they can keep playing or going, doing whatever they're doing. So I look for those hotels that are going to offer at least one meal free or kids eat free. And then a lot of hotels don't advertise it, but they do have many, many refrigerators and microwaves that you can request in advance of your check-in. So that way, if your kids are not eating all their food, you're not wasting it. You can bring it back to the hotel. You can put it in the fridge. You can heat it up in the microwave for them to eat later. And that's one of the things that saves a lot of money. Can you still, and you should be able to still do that even if you're not traveling with kids because, you know, something like someone like me, my child's 27, 23, 27, 23 <laughs> years old. So, um, like, I'm usually traveling by myself, but I would still be able to go to those hotels and still get a little microwave, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. I would. I, I strongly encourage you just to ask the hotels, do you have a microwave? Do you have a mini fridge? And ask for them in advance of check-in so that you know, so that they can have it in your room already, as opposed to when you get to the hotel and ask for it, which means it may not be available. But to the extent possible, ask for it in advance and try to look for hotels that have them. Sometimes they don't list them on their websites because maybe they don't have enough and they don't want to broadcast it. And also they want to encourage you to eat the food at the hotel versus trying to store food. So they don't like to advertise it, but definitely ask about that in advance of um, checking in or even booking the hotel. Oh, I think so, I covered. Go ahead. No, I think I covered all of the. I think I covered, so I covered the food, I've covered the flight, I've covered the hotel. Um, I think the last tip that I really would just say is in terms of the anxiety and the travel is whether you're traveling single or alone, you know, pack your patience. Give yourself enough time to travel because when you are rushing, you feel like 
it it can make your it can bring on your anxiety symptoms when you feel like I'm about to miss my flight or you're not giving yourself enough time to get settled in at the airport really, you know, when you're going straight from security right to the gate and you don't get a chance to maybe get water or use the bathroom or to just walk and stretch your legs for a little bit before getting on the plane. I think that helps tremendously. Give yourself time to sort of settle in at the airport before rushing to the plane. The other thing I prefer to do is I do not like to board with my group. I like to board at the end when everybody else is on the plane. Because when you board first, you end up sitting on the plane longer. So if you are a person whose anxiety is brought on by small spaces or confinement, do not board in advance. Now, I have a friend who, when she goes to the airport because of her anxiety, she likes to get on the plane first because she flies southwest and she wants to sit at the front of the plane. So being at the front of the plane sort of helps her with her anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so that was, if that's what works for you, then that's fine. But what works for me, especially when I'm traveling with my kids too, when they allow you to pre-board, I don't like to pre-board because you end up sitting on the plane longer than everyone. So you're the first people to get on the plane, which means boarding can take up to 40 minutes. And here you are sitting with your kids for extra 40 minutes on the plane. And they want to get up. They want to go to the bathroom. They want to run in the aisles. They, they don't want to sit still. So, you know, you're, you're, you've just added 40 minutes to your travel time where you could just be sitting at the gate, letting them run around, letting them do them and get on the plane last. And that's one of the things that I do to make sure that I'm not just sitting in this confined space for an unnecessary period of time. Right. So, um, and now that we've got, and we got our tips for the traveling, so what, what are your, some of your points as to why it is important to still travel and not let the anxiety, uh, I guess, what is that? I guess let the anxiety get to you as far as traveling and make you stay home. <laughs> because some people just be like, I can't, I don't, they don't really think that, um, I know in my, my, in my case, when I was really, when it was really, really bad for me, I had a trip coming up and I almost canceled it. And then, um, and just talking to my mom and talking to people and they were just like, you know, sometimes get, it was a, it was actually a person who was going through what I had been going, what I was going through at that time. And he was saying like the traveling, um, actually helps. It really, and you don't think so because you're always thinking about the flying, the fear, the panic attacks, what's going to happen, I'm going to embarrass myself, but um, the traveling actually really does help. So I just wanted you to speak to why you think the important, it is important to travel even when you are suffering with anxiety and PTSD. Well, for me, um, I think traveling or allowing anxiety to cripple you to the point where you don't do things that you enjoy, it means that you're allowing the anxiety to win or you're allowing your fear to really paralyze your life to the point where it's inhibiting you from enjoying your life. That's number one. I find, you know, ever since I was a little girl, I've just been fascinated with travel and I have always loved going different places. I remember the first time I was on a plane and we just went to Florida, but it was just the most wonderful experience to be able to leave the city and to see something different and so if you love to travel but your anxiety or your fear of traveling is paralyzing you 
you have to find a way to overcome that so you can continue to enjoy life and live life and not let it inhibit you to that to that extent you know it's 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 unfortunate but it's a lot of people especially people of color who are really afraid of flying Mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's because when we're growing up we don't travel as much or when we're growing up we my sister is 50 years old she just got on the plane for the first time well six months ago because she was afraid to fly and she flew from dc to california listen and i was so impressed franklin aretha franklin was um on um whole last tour buses girl on all the time like yes because she had a fear of flying and and can you just imagine being this world-class entertainer paralyzed by fear to the extent that you you know, in so many places you can't go where people can't experience your gifts because you are afraid of flying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are also, and if your anxiety is specific to flying or being in confined places, there are so many, um, excuse me, therapeutic options available specifically for people who are afraid of flying or who have claustrophobia. And I would just encourage people to seek those resources. A quick Google search. My sister actually, she did a class, an online class. And it was like, I think she said it took a day. And they gave her all these techniques for flying. And after that, she was able to fly with no problems. And she actually had a panic attack on the plane. Actually, we were flying from Atlanta. She had a panic attack and she got off the plane. And instead of flying back, she drove from Atlanta back to D.C. That's how paralyzing her anxiety was. And so since then, she's had no issues because she's whatever this online resource she found. And so I say that to say there are resources out there that people should just seek out so that they're not paralyzed by fear of worst case scenarios. The other thing I like to do is I pack um, peppermint oil or eucalyptus oil Mm -hmm. on the flight with me so that I have um, something. Do you so you put it in? It helps. Or you rub it, or you use it on your on top of you? I use it on my inside of my wrist. Okay. Right. I use it on the inside of my wrist, and I smell, or I just put it under my nose, and it just helps. Because sometimes the flight they feel really stuffy, and they feel really, you feel really closed in. So it kind of just opens your nose up, and just do some deep breathing exercises. I also sit on the aisle. I like. For whatever reason, it just helps me to sit on the aisle. It also helps to have water while you're in flight to just kind of, I don't know, it just helps me to feel a little more settled. But I think with frequent flying, you will figure out what works best for you in terms of relieving those symptoms. You know what I mean? Like this is just something that I've just, I've just, these are tips that I've just acquired just over time and trial and error but you don't get to the trial and error unless you're fine no absolutely and you have to just i think you just it's more and it's also to just just step out i mean it sounds cliche but you just really have to step out on faith when it comes to anxiety and just um telling yourself that you know the surroundings are safe because actually for myself you know with with my my friend passing away just just after we got back from Essence Festival, you know what I mean? And it was just like, we're not sure what happened. 
But, you know, in my eyes, I'm like, I wonder if it was the traveling, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> was it the flight? Like, what what was it? And mm -hmm. I found myself even today thinking like, oh, I got to go to Atlanta in, in, in November. Like, you know, I, I just don't want to be nervous. Like, I'm already, here, I'm already getting nervous about traveling and getting back on a plane. So, and that could mm -hmm. be PTSD from, you know, just the, the suddenness of her passing away. But it's like you just yeah. gonna have you have to just be like you know what it is what it is I'm gonna take this flight regardless you know what I mean like I'm I have to do this and I think that's what happens when you just gotta honestly just be like I'm just gonna keep doing it. I don't care what happens like I'm not gonna let it win like anxiety is just not gonna win panic attacks ain't gonna win so I um I I. I completely agree. You know, I'm just sitting here thinking about your friend and how I can see that being such a paralyzing, almost like I can't do this because look what happened to her and it can happen to me. And then, you know, and how do I prevent these worst case scenarios from happening? And the truth is, one of the things my mother-in-law always tells me is she says, you know, God is in control. God's yeah. in control. So no matter how much we think that we are in control over what's going to happen to us, I mean, there's only but but so much prevention that we can do, right? There's only but so much. I mean, obviously, that I'm not suggesting live recklessly, like you're going to die anyway kind of an attitude. <laughs> but <laughs> like go ahead and shoot up that heroin, girl. Yeah, you go just, and shoot that heroin <laughs> No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is you know, there's only but so much caution and so much prevention that we can do that we don't want to paralyze or be crippled by our fears that we don't live our life. Because you only get one life. So whatever's stopping you, whatever's preventing you from getting on that plane, figure out what that is and get the treatment that you need, get the help that you need. You know, we have so much information available to us right in our phones and it's sad that we don't even use it because it's just a google search you know a simple google search can point you into the right direction of tips that people use when they're flying resources about getting over your fear of flying you know and really so that you are giving yourself the best chance at a at a life and that's really what it comes down to, you know. That's that's truly what it comes comes down to. Yeah, true. Living I, your best goddamn life. The best, <laughs> like the best damn life out here, and fear and and as fearless as possible. Um, I don't know if yeah. there's anybody out here who is like a hundred percent fearless. Um, but you can try to be as fearless as possible. Um, while living your best life. So, yeah. While living your best life. Ow. Jessica, we just did Ow. a whole, we just did a whole little um interview. It it was Nubian moments. It was a Nubian moment, and I enjoyed it. I hope, <laughs> look, I hope I didn't put on my white woman voice too much. I was trying to sound <laughs> your young Republican voice, girl. My young Republican. I was like, yes. So <laughs> here's how I tackle anxiety. So like, how do I need to sound when I'm being recorded? <laughs> You Do I need to sound urban? You, you sound, sound okay. Urban, but it was like it was an education. It was an educational urban you gave us right now. It sounded. It sounded good. It sounded really good. And thank you so much for sharing your tips and your story um, with us. A lot of people just you know like just don't like to share their story. So I really appreciate that. 
And um, what do you have? Are you public with your um social media and stuff? For people? Girl, no. Okay. No. Well, people are no. <laughs> people are nosy, but you know, and, and I have, and it, I don't think it's connected to my anxiety at all. But people are just crazy as fuck. They will take your pictures. They will stalk you. They will be stealing pictures of your kids. Like I post too much. I post my kids. I post my family. So intimate moments. I will not be putting. If anybody wanted to follow Jess, it's not happening. So mm-hmm. not, not, no strangers allowed. But listen, you can tag me. People got questions. I'll certainly answer them on your page when you <laughs> post this <laughs> interview. And if there's no creep then they can follow me too. And people can, I think you can still DM people that that don't follow you too, if you have a question about anything I said. So what I'll do is I will tag you and if anybody has any questions, guys, you can at her under the post on Instagram or Facebook. Um, And yeah, so thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed being on here. Girl, you got to bring me back on so we could talk about, uh, I did a post the other day about how to get a six-figure job. I'd love to come back and talk about that. Oh, yeah. Well, we want to, then you're definitely going to come back about that. For sure. That's, for sure. That's, that's going to be in the works in the next two to three weeks, girl. Listen, just give me a call on a good Friday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jess. You're welcome. Bye, Toya. Love you. I love you, too. So, you know, I will always leave you guys with affirmations. And this week, I decided to do um, do something a little different because I've realized that a lot of the times we say affirmations and we don't necessarily feel them. Um, and that's because we have to say, like, say, if I'm tired of being uh, a thickums in my stomach area, <laughs> I want a flat stomach. I keep saying, I have a flat stomach. I have a flat stomach. But deep down inside, I know my stomach ain't flat or I can look in the mirror and see my stomach ain't flat. So... Um, I just thought about how we can change the affirmation so we can accept what it is and also affirm what we want to happen um, and stay in the positive. So um, like I I told you guys, I had started EFT tapping and that's where I started to learn these um, um, scripts and sequences to use throughout EFT tapping. And um, it also deals with affirmations. So with those affirmations, um, you do you it's more it's more of an acceptance um and then you also affirm the positive and um so i'll give you three guys that i hope that you can use during the week and it will start to work with you you want to say these affirmations over and over again to yourself especially in times of panic especially um in times of extreme anxiousness um, when I was going through the depersonalization hardcore, yo, I would be in my bedroom and I would be scared to even come into my kitchen. And I had to, to use these affirmations and use these, um, sentences to calm myself down because it was just everything, every waking thing was scaring your girl and it was pissing me off. So, um, I use these, so I hope these will work for you too, as well. So the first one is, even though I have all this anxiety and stress about, and you can insert whatever about is. It could be it could be a stress and anxiety of a job. It could be about love. It could be about a particular person. It could be about a car. It could be about anything. You can insert it there. So even though I have all this anxiety and stress about, I accept myself anyway. 
and you want to repeat it again. Even though I have all this anxiety and stress about, I accept myself anyway. The next one is, even though I have all this stress and anxiety about, and again, insert your about, I deeply and completely accept myself. Even though I have all this stress and anxiety about, I deeply and completely accept myself. And then the the last one, which is the best one for me, and it's always been helpful for me, even though this stress and anxiety is exhausting, I accept myself no matter what. Even though this stress and anxiety is exhausting, I accept myself no matter what. And that is the main thing, guys, you have to do when it comes to anxiety, PTSD, OCD, any kind of mental health um, issues. You've got to learn how to accept yourself. And that is the first thing that you should do because, see, we fight it so much. We um, fight shame. We fight um, what if, what are other people going to think about us. And then um, we fight ourselves because of it. So you have to be able to accept yourself no matter what knowing that you are going through whatever it is that you're going through. So even though this stress and anxiety is exhausting, and I know it can be because I'm exhausted, y'all. Like I'm tired, tired AF. I accept myself no matter what. Thanks guys for listening. I'm so happy that you guys are still sticking with me and listening. Um, So uh, it's time. I ain't going to hold y'all. And I ain't going to let y'all hold me. So I'll talk to y'all soon. Bye.